0: be seated. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing all right? Everybody good? Yeah? It's good to see you. It's good to be back. Uh, I want to thank you guys all for your patience again, your flexibility uh, coming off of... um Just this past week, uh, having to make some decisions, Uh, the elders, I'm thankful for our elders and for their wisdom and for the conversations and the prayers that have been having, Uh, just trying to keep everybody as safe as we can, but yet still uh, continue to move forward in in worship. And so I'm thankful for everything that happened last week, but I'm thankful that we're all back together and that... Everything is just really reopened for us um, here at service, and I mean, I feel like at this point, honestly, uh, we should probably just have the elders come forward and go ahead and move to communion, uh, because uh, Pastor Corey and team really just gave you the sermon in song, and so I don't know much more what I can add other than what you just heard. So uh, you're going to hear a lot of of the same themes come up that we just sang about, so I want you to to really bear that in mind as we move forward through this message. Um, So we'll kind of count this as uh, part two of our message this morning. You just, you're just saying about it, and now we're going to study it through the word together. So, uh, having said that, I want to remind you that we're still in our series, a new series we just started through the book of Philippians, a series that we call Joyful Unity. Now, again, if you were not here with us last week, I want to encourage you. You should have gotten an email from us. Um, if you didn't, let us know. We can put you on that email list, but there was an email kind of letting you know what we we're going to be doing today. But with that email, there was a link at the bottom of it, kind of tying you uh, to uh, our YouTube channel where you could go back and listen to last week's sermon. Man, I would encourage you to go do that, not because I want you to hear me. Uh, That's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm not trying to uh, build up our viewership or anything like that. But last week we did a a huge uh, history lesson. And for those of you who texted me or called me or messaged me and said, hey, that was encouraging. Thank you for giving us all that. Uh, God bless you. Um, You know who you are. Um, So thank you for that, for those of you who were very encouraging that, but we did spend a lot of time uh, getting some backstory in, talking through Acts 16, uh, Paul's time in Philippi, and then how that led us to where we are with this letter in Philippians today. So we are back in uh, Philippians. We are moving forward in chapter 1, still dealing with Paul's opening words here. We're still seeing uh, Paul offering words of affection this morning, words of joy, uh, words of thanksgiving to the local church who has partnered with him in the advancement of the gospel. Now, before we jump into our text this morning in Philippians 1, I want us to realize that, man, in our current society, in our world today, people are constantly looking for joy. Have you noticed that? People are always fighting hard, seeking what it is that will that will satisfy them and then ultimately what happens is once they think they have found that ultimate source of joy and that ultimate source of satisfaction it just leaves them with a bitter taste. It leaves them wanting more. You see, people are constantly looking for what it will uh, or what it is that will satisfy them forever only to find that the pleasures of this world, whether it be money or power or careers or even entertainment, none of these things will ever fully quench the desire that we have for satisfaction and the desire that we have for joy. In fact, when I, when I think about seeking satisfaction and seeking joy, I'm reminded of what uh, Bono said with YouTube when he's saying, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You see, here's the truth. Nothing this world has to offer will ever satisfy us the way that God can. Even when we achieve ultimate success, we all end up like Solomon, looking back on our life, looking back on his successes, back on his accomplishments, and then calling it all vanity. You see, if we're not careful, if we as Christians today do not stay focused on the main thing, which is the word of God, which is the mission of God, then we too can find ourselves looking back on our life at the end of our lives and asking, what happened? Where did I go off track? So as we continue to read our letter this morning, I want you to pay careful attention to what Paul will now point the church to when he points us to where joy is found. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to Philippians chapter one. We're gonna pick up our story in verse three. And once you have found your place in the word, if you can and you're able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. Now again, this is Paul writing to the church at Philippi in Philippians, chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this day and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in this place. Father, we thank you that in the midst of uncertain times, in the midst of unknowns, Father, we can look to you knowing that you are the one who can fully satisfy. You are the ultimate source of joy. And so, Father, we praise you now for the hope that we have in you. Father, we thank you for the work that you have done, a work that we see according to the word that began with creation, that continued through you bearing our sins on the cross. And as we see these things, Father, we look forward with hope of knowing that in the end we will be reunited with you. And so God, we praise you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we've had to worship you in song already, that we've had to worship you through prayer, through the study of your word. And Father, we pray in these next few moments that you would be glorified as we worship you through the teaching of your word. So Father, may you speak today through your word. May you move in our lives. And God, in our time, may you and you alone be glorified. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you, you could be seated. Now again, if I could, I want to set the scene for you this morning. You see, Paul is clearly sitting in prison, but this is not like what we think of when we think of a normal prison, and we'll get to more of this in just a moment. You see, Paul is more or less under what can best be described as house arrest at this point, and yet even though his freedoms under this now house arrest were very limited, Paul was probably the most joyous man in all of Rome. You see, Rome, kind of like our country today, Rome was a very consumer driven society. Everywhere there were, there were games, there were, there were pleasures to satisfy our lusts, there were, there were parties, there was, there was theater, and there was so much more. And yet, as we read in Paul's own words, being imprisoned, Paul believed that he had it a thousand times better than those who were seeking joy in other things. And so as we look to our text this morning, this is is where Paul begins to mention the word joy. And typical to most of his introductions that we see in all of his other letters, Paul now sets the tone for this particular letter and ultimately gives us the theme for the rest of his letter, which we have titled Joyful Unity. So as we study this section together, I want us to notice that Paul's life is not filled with stuff. I want us to notice that Paul's life is clearly not trouble-free. However, Paul has Jesus, and for Paul, that is all that mattered. You see, we quickly see that Paul's mind is filled with Jesus, and not just Jesus, but also his concerns for the local church as he is praying for them. So even though he is shackled under house arrest, notice again that Paul's concern was not for his stuff, Paul's concern was not for his current problems, nor was his concern his own calendar. Rather, his focus was Jesus Christ, and that is ultimately where his joy came from. You see, as we look again at our text this morning, Paul reveals both his close communion with Christ, but also his love for the local church at Philippi. So what we have this morning in our text is we have a a letter that is written with a joyful Because Paul is overflowing with thankfulness to God and for his love for the local church. So I imagine as Paul was probably writing this letter down, he probably wrote it in its entirety with a smile on his face. So my prayer is that as we read again our text together, let's look to see where joy is found. First, I want us to look again at verses 3 and 4 and realize that joy is found first in prayer. You see, Paul opens by offering a prayer of thankfulness as his mind is filled with wonderful memories of the body of believers that make up the church at Philippi. In fact, he says of them, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now, again, pay attention to the phrases or the words that we see in verses three and four. You're going to see words like all and always and every and you all. In fact, if you're one of those fancy people that has multiple colored pens, I would underline all those in the same color. see the church at Philippi was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination and yet Paul was grateful for them and not just some of them but Paul tells us he was grateful for all of them now just to help you understand what Paul is talking about when he's speaking of all of them this isn't like what we use today many of you use the word y'all you know what I'm talking about I mean, I know we're down here in Florida, but this is still the South. A lot of folks still use the word y'all. Now, there's a lot of folks from the North that are moving down that don't know that word. And I think by obligation, we have a responsibility to teach them that word. Y'all. But here's the reality. If I looked over to this corner of the room and said, y'all come here, I would imagine that the majority of you would probably come, right? But not everybody, okay? Same thing when we got together for family gatherings. Grandma would say, Y'all, a few of us would come, not everybody, okay? Because we didn't know what we were about to get into. But here's what I learned growing up. You see, my grandparents taught me a different word that meant everybody. A different word that meant when I say this word, everybody is to be there, everybody is to show up. And that word wasn't just y'all, it was this word. And tell me if you've heard this one, all y'all. Y'all heard that one, right? I'm gonna go ahead and tell you as a child growing up that meant one of two things either all y'all better come here Or all y'all better come here because all y'all in trouble All right, that's the only time I ever heard my grandparents use that word They didn't even use it when they were calling us to dinner It'd be like y'all come to dinner. It was at dinner. You either showed up you ate or you didn't okay But if all of us were in trouble all y'all better get here right now So, you know that word So when we come back to our text today, literally this is what Paul is saying to the church at Philippi. He's saying, look, I am not just thankful for y'all. I'm thankful for all y'all. I'm thankful for every person that is there. And as we're gonna continue to read at the church of Philippi, there are gonna be some people that Paul is gonna call out. There's gonna be some people that Paul realizes when he ever gets an opportunity to return to Philippi, there's gonna be people that need to be rebuked. And he's actually going to rebuke them in this letter. But notice, he says, but even so, I am still thankful for all y'all. I am thankful for every person that is there. You see, for us today as a church, conflict in the church is going to happen. Okay, we're going to disagree. It's just going to happen. You don't believe me? Let's do this. I want to separate our church this morning. If you believe in the vaccine, come sit over here. If you don't believe in it, go sit over there. I'm kidding. Let's not do that. That's a horrible idea. That's 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 called a church split. Let's not do that this morning, okay? Everybody's got opinions, and we've got passionate opinions, things that we really believe in, whether we know a lot about them or not. But here's the reality when it comes to church conflict. Conflict in the church should never crush our gratitude towards one another. You see, even when someone has upset us, Even when someone has wronged us, whether they know it or not, we are still a part of the family of God. Even when we come into church and there are are things that are happening that upset us, whether it be people that upset us, or as, as Mary Ellen would know all too well on the grounds team, whether it's the buildings that are upsetting us, right? Even when those moments come and they upset us, we should still be thankful that we are here. We should be thankful that we are still able to be together and to meet together. You see, here's the reality. When we come to church... And we are super critical of the church, meaning we complain about everything. We complain about the people. We complain about worship. We complain about the air condition. We complain about the lights. We complain about the coffee. We complain about the carpet. When we come in and we're super critical of everything, then the reality is you won't nor ever will be a grateful person for what God has given you. And then here is the reality. When you come in and you're super critical and you're not grateful, then I want you to know today that your joy in worship will be robbed. You will be robbed. So as a church today, let's remember that we should be thankful for what God is doing. Because the reality is, when it comes to the people of God, hear me on this, sanctification is a slow process. I'm going to say that again sanctification is a slow process. So as a part of the local church, as a part of the local family of God, man, let's learn to be a little more patient with one another. And at the same time, let's be thankful for one another. You see, in the church, there will always be conflict. But again, it should never rob us of our joy. And so what I would want you to know is the same thing that I believe Paul wants us to know. Let us never take for granted what the Lord is doing in the lives of those who are around us. So as a people growing in grace, let's spend more time being thankful for one another, especially when it comes to praying for one another. I mean, just think about this for a moment. I can imagine that many of our problems in the church... And I'm talking about the church universal at this point. I'm not just talking about Southside, okay? So let me clarify. Somebody asked me that this week. You talk a lot about the church. Are you talking about Southside? I'm clarifying. The church universal is in the Western church right now, all right? I imagine that many of our problems in a local church would disappear if we genuinely prayed for one another. I would imagine many of our problems would disappear if we, if we not only prayed for one another, but if we were actually thankful for one another. You see, in Paul's prayer, as we look back at the text, he thanks God as he remembers the people within the local church at Philippi and the work that God was doing through the local church. In fact, as we continue in our text, Paul then goes on to say, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Now think about that for a moment. Paul, even though he was imprisoned, is filled with joy. Again, not because the church has gotten bigger not because the church moved into a bigger house not because the church got more stuff but rather because they have maintained a big vision of God and so Paul shares that same vision with them and it encourages him with what the local church is doing you see we need to stop and think about this for a moment as we look at verse three because you see, the reality that Paul teaches us this morning is this. If all we have is Jesus, then we have everything we need for joy. So what happens when we grieve? Because that's the reality, man. We're all going to deal with heartache. We're all going to deal with it. This, this season of life and, and so many of your lives, this has not been an easy season. It's not been easy. Some of you are, have grieved recently. Some of you are grieving now. This, is, this has not been an easy season for us as believers. And so what does that mean when we grieve? Well, here's the reality for Paul. He would say to you, look, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve. But still rejoice in the Lord. Because even in our grief, God is providential. Even in our grief, God is sovereign. You see, even Jim Elliott said it best, the great missionary. He said, it is possible to have nothing. It is possible to lose it all, but possess everything if what you possess is Jesus Christ. You see, as a church today, man, we got to stop listening to what culture tells us we need. What we need is to be in God's word daily. Daily. What we as Christians need, according to the word, is, is we need to be meeting with the saints regularly. What we need as a, as a local body of believers is to be together singing songs of praise consistently. This is what joy that is found in prayer can lead us to. So we have to ask the question this morning, man, when was the last time you prayed for one another? And I'm not, pray- I'm not talking about praying for healings and, and praying for sicknesses and, and all that. I, those are good and right things. I'm talking about praying for one another with joy. When was the last time you stopped to pray for someone that you got along with really well and you just thank God for them? Or better yet, when was the last time you you prayed for that person that you don't get along well with and you just thank God for them? You just said, God, I'm thankful for them. Man, when was the last time we, we just simply stopped for a moment in our prayers and just said, God, I am thankful for every single person who is in this place that you've called to be a part of the local church? Now, Paul's gonna move from there. And we get into verse five. And here Paul teaches us that joy is found in gospel fellowship. Now here Paul speaks of how the church supported him and thus served with him as co-workers in the mission that he had been called to. In fact, Paul says in his own words in verse 5, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now here Paul is speaking of a fellowship that involves both mutual interest and serving or sharing with one another. So literally what the church at Philippi was doing for Paul is similar to what we read about in the New Testament church all the way back in Acts chapter 2. In fact, when looking at this verse, I love what D.A. Carson says about this. He says, the heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. In other words, here's our reality today as a church. The fellowship that we share, this fellowship now refers for Paul and to the local church to a gospel-centered friendship that is centered on the mission of gospel proclamation so you see for Paul the church was brought together in fellowship under the umbrella of a common savior united by the same spirit that now leads them and they were all heading to the same glory together you see the reality is this our ages may be different our life stage may be different The way we vote may be different. The way we we see pandemics may be different. The way we raise our children may be different. But we do have more in common with one another than we often think or realize. We have Jesus Christ. We have the work of the Spirit in our lives. And we all believe as Christians that in the end, God will win. And he will be glorified as we spend eternity with him. Honestly, I think if we just put aside our differences for a moment, if we just embraced our differences for a moment, but we actually started with the common ground of Jesus Christ being Lord, then maybe, just maybe, true fellowship and true partnership and ministry can actually grow. Now again, this does not mean that we won't ever have conflict. We're going to have it, okay? We're going to disagree, and that's, that's okay. I do believe that's a part of it, but it does mean that we have a way to now deal with that conflict because we have a common ground, and that common ground is the gospel itself. I mean, come on, think about this for a moment. I mean, if you really, honestly, I'm just if you could, just take a look around the room real quick for me. Look around the room. Some good looking folks in here today, right? Some folks might need a little help. Yeah, I know. Some of y'all are like, yeah, I don't know about that. I I got you. Here's the reality Where else in this world do you see a bunch of sinners who are redeemed by grace come together to form a church? Where else in this world do you see a bunch of sinners who are redeemed by grace come together for the purpose of forming fellowship? It's right here through the local church. You see, we are built and designed to be in relationship with one another. This is what God has called us to, okay? We have an innate need to be in relationship, not only with our creator, but an innate need to be in relationship with one another. If you don't believe me, then do yourself a favor. Think about when people are dying. What do they ask for in those moments when they know they're dying? Do they ask for their diplomas? No. Do they all of a sudden ask for their trophies? No. God bless our parents for for keeping all that stuff for us, but that's not what people ask for. What do they ask for? They ask for people. They ask for people to come around them. You know, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, I've not shared a lot of opinions about the vaccine, COVID, and all that jazz. I've not shared a lot. I kind of keep that to myself. That's my thought, my opinion. I respect your opinion. I just ask that you respect mine, but here's one thing I will say for certain. I think the worst thing that we have done throughout this entire pandemic is separating people from the ones they love while they're in the hospital. That is the worst thing that we have done. It is making the problem worse. Why? Because there is something supernatural when people get together because God created us that way. There is something healing about when people get together, especially when believers are able to be together and encourage one another and pray for one another. and when we separate people man we're just making the problem worse because now all of a sudden people feel like they're alone now coming back to our text here's what paul notes paul says that when it comes to being a believer that man we need relationships we need relationships for the sake of gospel fellowship but we also need them for the sake of gospel mission in other words we need people that we can serve we need people that, can, that, that, that we can love on and in return, hopefully they love on us. As one scholar said it in one of the commentaries I read, he said this, he said, Christianity is not a me and Jesus rea- uh, religion. Rather, it is a we and Jesus faith. You see, being a worker for the gospel, living on, living on mission, it's not gonna be easy. We need one another. We need one another in fellowship in order to pray for each other. We need to be together with like-minded believers in order to encourage one another as we share in the common mission of making the gospel of Jesus Christ known throughout our community and to the nations. You see, this is a part of the the heartbeat of why we are currently doing gospel communities at this point. And it's part of the heartbeat of why we gather as a local church at this point. You see, we gather as a church, we gather as gospel communities in order to encourage one another, in order to carry on the mission that God has called us to. So you see, for Paul, as part of this gospel fellowship... And we need to recognize our differences. And yet we need to celebrate the unity that we now have in Jesus Christ. And at the same time, we need to encourage one another to commit to the mission of making the gospel known to our neighbors, to our community, to our city, to our state, to our nation, and then to the world. You see, here's the truth. Christian joy comes from Christ, and Christian joy can be found in community. That leads us to point number three that Paul gives us, and we see it in verse six, where Paul teaches us that joy is now found in God's good work. Excuse me. Now, when we look at verse six together, this actually is probably one of the most memorized passages in the Bible. In fact, most people probably have this one memorized in this room, and that's, that's actually a good thing. So here's what Paul says. He says, and I am sure of this in verse 6 that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So notice what Paul is saying here. He's saying, hey, look, I want you to know that my joy is found in the confidence that I that I now have in both God's nature, but also in God's purpose. So Paul tells us, look, God will complete what it is that he has started for each one of us. Okay, so if you're coming in here today and you're wondering what tomorrow will hold, if you're wondering what tomorrow may look like, if you're frustrated with your work, if you're frustrated with life, if you're frustrated and and your, your heart just grieves over what's happening right now in your life, then I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about Paul's words here. Because Paul says to us, look, God began his work in us when he opened us and opened our hearts to salvation in Christ Jesus alone. So if God began his work in us at salvation, then do we honestly think that God is going to stop there? The answer to that question is no. Paul tells us that God will complete his work in us and God is continuing to work in us. And so here's the good news for a second. Think about it in terms of being a teacher. If you were to give God a grade. And I don't know why you would. Good luck with that. But if you were to give God a grade, know this about God. God will never receive the grade incomplete. He never will. In fact, when you read Psalm 73, verse 24, the psalmist says, You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. So when we read Psalm 73, verse 24, and we come back to Philippians 1, verse 6 here, this is our assurance as a Christian. You see, since God has now offered us salvation in Christ Jesus, we can now know that God is still working in our lives, and one day we will be taken to God in glory. And that is where we will spend all of eternity. So if you're a Christian today, man, your destination is certain. If you have salvation in Christ today, then just know that you now have the promises of God. But again, I want you to remember something. This does not mean that all of a sudden your life is going to be easy. In fact, one thing we can know for certain is this. One day, this life will be over. But on that day, we will overcome. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, man, on hard days, do we recognize where our joy comes from? On the hard days, do we see that our lives are now wrapped in God's good work? Whether we're celebrating and praising God or whether we're dealing with a trial, excuse me, should have taken my allergy pill this morning. I apologize. So whether we're dealing with celebration or whether we're dealing with a trial, do we recognize that God's sovereign hand is still upon us and that God is not finished with us yet? This leads us to verse 7 and 8, which is going to be our fourth and final point this morning about joy. We see that joy is now found in our deep love for one another. Now, again, I recognize that this may sound a lot like gospel fellowship again, but Paul is going to now take this one step further. You see, Paul deeply loved the people. In fact, Paul teaches us that not only do we need to know our theology and disciplines according to the word of God, but we also need a deep love for God and a deep love for one another. So Paul says in the text, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you some translations of scriptures actually switch that, and they say that Paul says, because you hold me in your heart. Either way, what we have before us this morning is we are now seeing that there is a deep heart relationship that exists between Paul and the church at Philippi. And then notice what Paul does. Paul calls this relationship right. You see, because of the love and the fellowship that they share with one another, The church at Philippi, they were loyal to Paul. They were loyal to the mission that Paul was called upon. In fact, even during his imprisonment, they did not abandon Paul. When Paul was imprisoned in Rome, many people were embarrassed by him, but yet it was the church at Philippi that was not ashamed of him. And so they stayed by his side. You see, we see this in our text when when Paul says of them, for you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So you see, even while in prison, while Paul was sharing the gospel to his captors and judges, it was the church at Philippi that still remained loyal to him, which is what made this relationship so sweet. Now I want you to think about what that looks like for us today. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this is why here at Southside, we believe in covenant membership. This is why we talk a lot about covenant membership. When we talk about covenant membership, we are not asking you as a church member to commit to extra biblical promises. In fact, if you go look at our constitution and bylaws right now, you see our covenant in there. And if you read it, you will realize every word can be backed up with scripture. So what, it mean, what does it mean to be in covenant membership with one another? Look, this is what we're saying. This is all we're saying as a church. We're simply saying to one another, look, as a faith family, we are in this together. As a faith family, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's ugly, we are going to be there for one another. We are not going to abandon our post, nor will we ever abandon one another. Why? Because we're a family. And that's what the family of God does. Now, I told you earlier, I was going to mention a little bit more about Paul's imprisonment. He actually speaks of it right here. And so I want to reference this for a moment. Now, I find this this actually interesting because, man, Paul, most people think when Paul was in prison, and there were several times this happened, they think Paul was in the basement somewhere in like a a damp, dark dungeon, uh, sitting there shackled to a wall, perhaps in the cell of a basement. But that wasn't Paul's reality when he was in Rome. Rather, when Paul was imprisoned, he was probably in a house that may or may not have been rented, to be quite honest with you. Chances are that home would have been somewhere near a barracks. And then pay attention to this. Because Paul wasn't shackled to a wall and they had to keep an eye on him, he was shackled to a Roman guard. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Imagine, just imagine for a moment walking around shackled to somebody every day. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, some of our wives already feel like that about our husbands. Okay, it's true. But I mean, can you just imagine what that moment must have been like for Paul? I mean, this is Paul. Paul who would sit there and say, hey man, for me to live as Christ and die as gain. Paul who loved nothing more than to share Jesus Christ. Paul who, who constantly prayed and looked for an audience to share the gospel with. I mean, I imagine while Paul was being in prison, being transferred to Rome, I imagine he prayed, Lord, continue to give me opportunities to make you known. Give me an audience, God. I just want to tell people about you. And notice what Jesus does. Jesus says to him, Paul, I'm going to do you one better. I'm not going to give you an audience. I'm going to chain you to a guy. So everywhere you go, this dude is chained to you, and you can share the gospel with him. I mean, just think about that for a moment. I can imagine every day at like a rotation of guards. I can imagine Paul sitting there waiting on the next guard to be shackled to him going, man, here we go. Who's it going to be today? I mean, just imagine what that must have been like for him. The only thing I can even equate this to is, is like being a pastor and flying on an airplane. Okay, it's a little different right now with COVID. But I remember a pre-COVID flying on the airplane, and and here's what would happen. Normally, I try to travel with somebody because it's always more fun to travel with somebody than without. I don't really like flying, to be honest with you. So I actually do better when there's somebody with me to talk to and hold their hand. Uh, I don't care if you're a guy or not. I am holding your hand, okay? I'm kidding. I don't do that. Daryl Purcell, if he were here, he would verify that, all right? But here's the reality. There have been times I've had to fly by myself, whether it was to... To go home, to get back to seminary, whether I was going to a conference or, or whatever else. Man, I found myself several times flying on an airplane by myself, and what ends up happening is you sit next to a stranger. So, what happens when you sit next to a, tra- a stranger? If you don't have your book out and your earbuds already in, you strike up a little conversation, okay? How does that conversation go? Hey, how's it going? Right? You start there. Maybe you tell each other your name, maybe you don't, most people don't. But what's one of the most common questions you get asked? What do you do for a living? That, I never ask that question. I'm going to tell you, when I get on a plane, I don't ask that question. You know why? Because I know the question that's going to come back to me is, well, what about you? And I remember one flight, I was sitting next to a guy, and he was listening to jazz music. And I was like, hey, this is great. What do you do for a living? And He said, I'm actually a jazz musician. So what did he do? Did he stop the conversation? No. Did he ask me to hand him a bag of peanuts? No. He looked at me and said, what about you? What do you do for a living? You know what I say to them? I'm a pastor. I can't lie about that. There's no way for me to get around it. I can't, I can't muff that at all. I can't say, you know, I'm an educator or I'm a, I'm a philosopher or a philanthropist. I can't make up anything. I got to tell you, I'm a pastor. And then this is what happens in my mind, okay? When those words leave my mouth and I tell you that I'm a pastor and we're on a plane, then you know that I know that you know we are having this conversation. I don't care how long we're on that plane. We are talking about Jesus and there is nowhere for you to go, okay? You can buzz the flight attendant all you want. It does not matter. We are having that conversation. I imagine this is exactly where Paul was. Paul was probably saying the same thing. Look, you know me, you know why I'm here. You know why I'm in prison and now we're shackled together and since you have nowhere to go and I have nowhere to go, we're talking about Jesus. I mean, could you imagine the joy that must, that must have brought him? But now let's come back to our text for a moment, because what we then see is now Paul compares in talking about the church, he compares his love for the church to that of Jesus Christ. When he says this, he says, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I want you to understand that the Greek word for affection here actually refers to like our gut. This is like the most inward parts of our being. This is like a, it's like a gut check. This doesn't just hurt his soul. This, 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 this affects his gut. You see, Paul's love for the church is just like Jesus' love for the church. It's a deep love that goes well beyond a simple fist bump or a handshake or I love you, bro. It goes well beyond that campy type love. And you guys know what I'm talking about. If you grew up in the church, you went to camp, that last night of camp, all the girls are crying in a corner, all the dudes are hugging it out. You never see it except the last night. This goes way beyond that for Paul. This is deeper than that. You see, Paul tells us, man, I have a deep compassion for the church. I'm willing to to do anything for the local church. Just like Christ, I'm willing to lay down my life for the church. You see, that's how important the gospel and the church was for Paul. And so I have to ask ourselves this morning, we all need to ask ourselves this question Do we love one another deeply enough to show compassion to each other? Do we love one another enough to show that we care? Do we love one another to lay aside our own personal preferences for those that are around us? Man, are we truly committed to one another? I want to tell you, my prayer for us is that our love would be so deep for our church that it would pain us when we're not here. My prayer for our church is that, man, when we're not here, we miss the body. It grieves us to not be together. And I'm going to go and tell you, man, when we begin to feel this way about one another, I'm going to go and tell you, we all of a sudden will build fellowship. We all of a sudden will become a welcoming church. And then what will happen is this. It will lead to a greater joy as we gather together again. Somebody may ask at this point, man, how do we know I have that joy? Well, let me ask you this question. What was your attitude when you came into worship today? Were you excited? Were you happy to see people? Were you just joyed by the fact that you were able to come together and worship with like-minded believers? Or are you here because this is the next thing I got to do? Are you here because, well, I'm only here and he needs to wrap this up because we got to get to lunch? Why do we gather? Where is our deep love for one another? You see, as we wrap this up, I want us to realize in this passage, man, Paul is sharing with us a joy that comes from having a deep love for one another. He shares with us a joy that is found in knowing that God is doing a good work in us. He shares this with us and shares this joy that can be found now in gospel fellowship. And it's a joy that can be found in prayer as well. You see, for Paul's life, man, his life was not lavish at all. Paul was not living the American dream, if you will, but it didn't stop him from being joyful. So you see, for Paul, his focus remained on Christ. His passion remained on the people. His passion was found in the work that he was now called to, and he knew that his joy was complete. Because of Christ Jesus, his Lord. So what about us? Where is our source of joy? You see, here's the reality. Without prayer, we are ungrateful. Without gospel fellowship, we are lonely. Without knowing God's good work in us, we can become depressed and afraid. Without a deep love, we will not serve, nor will we have any self-worth because we're not being encouraged. Without Christ, there is no joy because nothing will be able to satisfy the way Christ can. So let's look to Jesus. Let's look out for one another in love because in Christ, Through the mission of the gospel in partnership with the local church. Paul tells us that is where joy is found. Man, let's pray together.